Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and like promised, as I said yesterday, we're going to continue the streak. Daily episodes, and today we are going to break down the three NFC playoff games of Super Wild Card Weekend, the NFL's newest creation to further all of our raving addiction to the game of football. Today's episode, a little bit more in-depth than yesterday's. As I said at the conclusion of yesterday's episode, I've got a lot better feel for the teams in the NFC because of just how weird the field is in the AFC. The the groups, the teams in the NFC, we, we've got a good grasp on all of them. I've watched all of them pretty extensively, and they're a little bit, I want to say, more predictable, these games. I feel like there's a little bit more of a clear-cut outcome in all of these where I don't mean I have a good feel for who's going to win each of these games I just have a significantly better feel for what these teams like to do schematically and decision making wise and I think that's going to make me able to comment a little more authoritatively when it comes to teams in the NFC so like I said we got three games do 10 15 ish minutes per per game see where the tangents take us but before I get to that conversation today, I do got to remind everyone to help support the show. Unsubscribe. Resubscribe. Subscribe. Resubscribe. Unsubscribe. Do it like four times. Leave a review if you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This podcast is available on all of the major podcast platforms. So show it a little bit of love, man. Help your content creators out. Re- reviews. Interactions engagement all of that stuff helps out immensely now like i said the wild card weekend always was pretty fun even if it did usually start with like a bengals texans game if everybody a lot of people out there probably remember the tj yates game when he started a playoff game for the texans against andy dalton just absolutely absolute chicanery going on with the Bill O'Brien Texans, whether it be Matt Schaub or TJ Yates starting playoff games for them. Weird things happened in that first wildcard game. Now, we're up to seven games this weekend, as opposed to what we were at before, which was four. The expanded playoff field, you add the extra team in there, only one of the teams, only one team gets a bye now. And we are sitting at a point where the field looks pretty similar to what the field was last year. A few new teams, but more or less, this is pretty similar to what we had last year. And I'm excited. I think the Super Bowl champion comes from this conference for because I think there are just more good teams in this conference than there are in the AFC. In the AFC, I could really only see Kansas City or Buffalo winning the Super Bowl. Here, I could see Tampa I could see Dallas, I could see the Rams, I could even see San Francisco. It's a little bit more open, even though I just said I think I have a better grasp on this conference. I just think there's a these teams are more, more adequately situated to be successful in the playoffs based on the types of teams they are. Okay, I will see you guys on the other side of this drop, and we're going to talk some ball. that we will get on into it we are starting we're going chronological order so first game the philadelphia eagles who did not expect to be in the playoffs this year they are the team playing with house money that wants to see how far they can go in the casino going to tampa 
to Raymond James Stadium to play the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are 8.5 point favorites. The total for this game is 46 points. I am very curious to see how this game shakes out for a handful of reasons. Number one, what the Eagles are... What the Eagles' identity is, is exactly what Tampa's defense is situated to stop. Eagles, obviously, a run-first offense. They led the league in rushing yards. They had something like seven or eight straight games with 150 yards rushing. And that was with a pretty subpar season from Miles Sanders, who missed a lot of time over the course of the season. And as a Miles Sanders dynasty owner, I get to kvetch about this, about him losing touches to Gainwell and to Boston Scott and the other litany of running backs that the Eagles seemingly always cycle through. I saw Miles Sanders was at practice today for the Eagles, I say today, on Thursday, without anything on his wrist for where he suffered a broken hand. So that's a good sign. But Tampa Bay, their front is designed to stop the run and rush the passer. When you think about that front seven with Levante David, with Shaq Barrett, with Devin White, Vita Vea, JPP. There's a lot of speed in that front seven. They are very good at going sideline to sideline. For all of my complaints about Devin White as a football player, his inability to read what's in front of him, he is still fast as hell. He is very much so a problem in the run game where even if he misses the initial read of where the play is going, he's got enough speed where he can recover and catch up to the play, run it down from behind, that type of thing. I'm very excited for this game from a football nerd perspective because I want to see... How Tampa, which is secondary, is a little bit more depleted, and their front seven is talented. I want to see if Philly can find a way to make Jalen Hurts an effective passer in this environment. I came into the season pretty skeptical of Jalen Hurts as an NFL starter. He has legitimate accuracy issues. He still doesn't totally process the game at a level I would like to see from somebody in year two. But I will say... I got to give credit where it's due. The Eagles did surprise me a lot this year. Number one, Nick Sirianni very much changed what he wanted his team to look like offensively after five weeks. I believe six weeks. I believe it was week seven when the, when the Eagles dramatically overhauled what type of offense they were going to be. They went to this run-heavy attack. They really had strong offensive line play this year. Jordan Mailata, Jason Kelsey had a great great resurgent year at center and then Lane Johnson's been one of the best right tackles in the league since he got in the league really and the Eagles have been able to run the ball with real free with authority they've been able to run the ball when they wanted to they've gotten into some problems though they don't have a great record against play the t- other teams in the playoffs they're 0-7 they don't really have a number one receiver who scares you yes I like Devontae Smith a lot but because of the limitations of Jalen Hurts as a passer, the Buccaneers will live with giving up stuff underneath and trying to force Jalen into passing obvious passing situations where they're going to be able to rush the passer and keep him inside the tackle box. I really do want to see what Philly does here to keep things interesting. I do think this is an opportunity for Dallas Goddard to really have a strong game. I hope he does. One of the more underrated players in the league and somebody who if Philly is going to hang around in this game, is going to have to make a play or two because I can't, as much as I like Devontae Smith, I don't know if he's going to be able 
I don't know if the way the Eagles are using Devontae Smith is going to make him enough of a factor that he can swing this game by himself with a big player too. Now, the Eagles, they take some shots on occasion, but they are mostly intermediate and short passing. They are not really a big play offense in the traditional respect. They're going to have a lot of those first down run, second down run, third and four. Okay, so now we can go play action. We can roll Jalen out get him only looking at half of the field where he only has to make one or two reads. And then if one of those two reads isn't open, he can just go. And that's where a veteran team like the Buccaneers with a veteran coordinator like Todd Bowles is going to have an interesting opportunity to pressure the shit out of an inexperienced quarterback. And Every year, there is a young quarterback in the playoffs who self-immolates, who makes mind-numbingly stupid decisions. I think of the Josh Allen lateral in the Bills-Chiefs game a couple years ago in the playoffs. That that one rings especially true in my head, where a young guy is trying to make a play a little bit outside of themselves, and it costs their team very big, very bigly, to quote Donald Trump. So, looking at my notes here, this is a game where there are defined gaps in pretty much every regard in Tampa's favor. We are talking about the defending Super Bowl champion, so a lot more experience on the Tampa sideline. I'll be respectful. The Eagles still have a few guys from their Super Bowl winning team a couple years ago under Doug Peterson. Not nearly as many as a couple years ago when they went back and then Nick Foles had to come into that game against the Saints. That interception that Alshon Jeffrey had go through his hands before it got picked off by a Saint defensive back. This is not the same Eagles team. There are a few holdovers, a few guys who were there back then, still with the team, but Bucks are a lot more experienced. The Bucks have Tom Brady. The Eagles have Jalen Hurts. The Bucks have Bruce Arians, who I think is kind of overrated by football media. I've always kind of thought he's overrated. He's had good offenses. He's gotten good counting stat seasons out of guys. And I'm speaking about before he got to Tampa. I'm speaking about his time in Arizona with Carson Palmer and some lesser quarterbacks, but he makes very bad game management decisions. He's always amongst the league leaders in terms of win probability loss from punting in situations where he should have gone for it. He is very much still an old school, we'll play field position because we have a good defense as opposed to, I have Tom Brady, I should let him sling it on fourth and two. That would make more sense to me, but hey, there's a reason I'm doing this and there's a reason Bruce Arians is wearing that silly little hat on the sideline, wearing his microphone equipment strapped across his chest instead of across his weight. Moving right along though within this game, this is a very clear cut game where you have defined narratives about each of the teams the we expect to be here and the well we're just happy to be here type environment i i do think this is a clear cut i think there's really no path for philly to winning this game aside from tampa bay self-immolating and we've seen tampa struggle against bad teams especially down the stretch i mean the jets really should have beaten them and the Buccaneers needed a two-minute drill from Brady to win. We've seen the Bucks struggle weirdly against bad teams. I mean, they lost that really weird game to the Bears on in prime time. They lost that really weird game to the Rams in prime time. Of course, that was last year. But when we're talking about the Bucks going forward, there is an expectation that as long as Tom Brady is there, this team should be competing for a Super Bowl. And to some degree, I think that's reasonable. But I want to say... 
with no Chris Godwin, with Antonio Brown hanging out with Kanye, it's going to be a lot more difficult for that team to going forward in this playoff run than it was last year. So number one, the Buccaneers were the healthiest team in the league last year during the course of the playoffs. They did not miss any starters in any of their playoff games. Massive advantage. They rolled everybody back from last year to this year. Significant injuries on both sides of the ball. That secondary in particular has been depleted at points this year. The offense now where they really don't have a lot to work with at wide receiver. Mike Evans and Gronk is plenty. I, I do think the Bucks will be able to get past Philly this game. I would be genuinely surprised if Philly won. I do think nine is a big number. Eight and a half is a big number in a game like this where Philly is going to make a concerted effort to run the ball and shorten the game. And that might work to their detriment because Tampa's run defense is so good. They very well might not be able to move the ball on the ground. And they could find themselves down two scores very quickly, expecting Jalen Hurts to throw them out of it, which sounds like the exact way Tampa Bay ends up covering in this game. When we do picks at the end, I very well might pick Tampa at nine. And then, like I was talking about on yesterday's show, in the, in the closer matchups where you got to make a call and it could go either way, you look at the coach and the quarterback, in the playoffs at least, I'm talking about, and... This isn't particularly close, and I think the coach and the quarterback are a lot better on one side, too. Philly's happy to be here. I still don't know if Jalen Hurts is an NFL starter. They will be one of the more intriguing teams to follow in this year's offseason because they have a ton of dead money coming off of their books, so they'll be able to spend a little bit more freely this summer. They will have three first-round draft picks by virtue of the Carson Wentz trade, and I, the pick swap with the Cowboys from last year. I'm very excited. I'll, I'll be frank with you. The Eagles are a great building block and a very good case study in what you need to do to retool a Super Bowl contender because they didn't totally blow it up. They took one year this year. They got all their bad money off of their books and they said, okay, we'll have a lean year. If things go well, great. If not, we know we can use one of our picks or our cap space to go get either a veteran quarterback and trade for one or to draft one. And right now, I don't know if Jalen Hurts is your guy long-term, but you at least were able to scheme a competent offense around him, and you were able to make the playoffs. That is worth something. And I will say, of all of the coaches who were getting clowned on during the interview process for weird interviews and, and um not really coming across well in front of the media. I mean, there was a lot of discourse about Nick Sirianni being a spaz because he couldn't talk in front of a microphone when the Eagles announced him as the head coach. And that was already after they waited a while into the offseason and fired Doug Peterson a couple weeks after the coaching carousel had already gotten going. And it kind of seemed, I don't want to say like a joke, but it kind of seemed like the, the Eagles just found a guy and said, all right, that's our head coach. And that was wrong. That's why you can't take those first impressions to heart, especially in things as canned as media introductions, because the questions are from team-friendly places. And then, you, for in the case of Sirianni, who was only ever a coordinator before, not used to talking to the media as much. That's one of the learning curves that people don't think about when you go from being a coordinator to a coach. As a coordinator, you talk to the media with some regularity, but... As a head coach, you are one of the public faces of your organization, and you represent the organization to the public. So the fact he was a little bit uncomfortable made some people unsettled that if he can't talk to the media, how is he going to talk to the team? 
obviously it worked. He got buy-in. And that's not easy to do for a first-time head coach to come into a place with as many veterans as entrenched as Philly does. Where, yeah, they have some younger pieces, but that's a veteran team. When you think about Kelsey, you think about uh, Dallas Goddard, you think about Lane Johnson, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, some of those older guys. They brought in Darius Slay in the offseason, who's an older guy. I'm excited. This game probably won't be that close score-wise. But from a tactician standpoint, this is going to be maybe the most interesting, aside from the next game. The next game is the one I'm absolutely the most excited about because I think either of these teams could win the Super Bowl. Game pick. We'll go Tampa, 8.5. I went all three underdogs yesterday on the AFC games. This is, an, this is a favorite game. I, I think Tampa Bay gets the Eagles into a lot of those uncomfortable passing situations. They get up two scores. They make Jalen Hurts try and throw his way out of trouble, but they don't really have the weapons for him to throw his way out of trouble. Aside from Devontae Smith, aside from Dallas Goddard, I I don't trust Jalen Rieger. Are are you really expecting something out of him? Or if they go Whiteside or some of the other receivers the Eagles, Eagles Twitter has made fun of since the Super Bowl? Okay, moving right along. This is the game I'm most excited about the entire weekend. This is the best game. Either of these teams can win the Super Bowl. San Francisco 49ers going to Dallas. The Cowboys, three-point favorites. Your total, 51, which is, I believe, the highest win. Yes, 51. This is the highest total, point total for over-under of any game during Wild Card Weekend. These are two teams that both expected to be here. They took different paths to be here. Dallas... Coming into the season, clear-cut favorite to win the East. I never understood the Washington football team buzz based off of last year where, yeah, they made the playoffs. They were under 500 with the corpse of Alex Smith and Taylor Heineke. And we were supposed to assume that just rolling Ryan Fitzpatrick in here on last year's team was going to make this team competitive. Defense does not carry over year to year. You can have a good defense consecutive years in a row. You will not have an elite defense multiple years in a row, which is something that a lot of people in media and in just the general public amongst fans struggle to understand. Offense is sticky, to quote Robert Mays of The Athletic when we're talking about football. It is sticky. That means offense carries over year to year. If you have good year to year and mold them a little bit more. Defense is so difficult to be transformative year to year. Because turnovers are so high variance. They are random. It is not possible to scheme for turnovers. Sure, you can blitz a little bit more and try and make the quarterback uncomfortable and create more turnover-likely plays, which is a stat that PFF tracks in terms of quarterbacks and turnover-worthy plays where if that throw should have been intercepted or if this play should have resulted in a fumble, that is something PFF tracks. But... Let's let's be real about Washington. And this was Dallas's division to win the entire time. Philly was a surprise. I did not expect Philly to be in the mix like this. And the Giants were never really a consideration. But Dallas expected to be here, win this division in year two under Mike McCarthy. They get Dak back, healthy. They've had some weird stretches this year. Uh, they did not look good against the Cardinals two weeks ago. They ran up the score on the Eagles backups last week. They've had some head-scratching games at various points this year. 
the loss of Blake Jarwin has been a problem because a lot of what made the Cowboys so dynamic the first four or five weeks of the season when Dak was on pace to throw for 5,500 yards was their ability to do anything from any personnel grouping because they would have two tight ends, two receivers, and a running back on the field, and it could be a run play or it could be a pass play. Once Jarwin got hurt and Schultz had to be that main tight end, it limited a little bit what they wanted to do, and it made them a little bit more predictable. And one of the things that Kellen Moore has done that I've liked is he's made that offense into one of the more high-powered offenses in the entire league using some fun concepts. And there have been some starts and stutters, like I was just talking about, where it's kind of run into cold spells, if you will, where they get a little bit too predictable. And it's weird, because I've read in a few different people's work in terms of play tendency, Dallas does not use the same play multiple times in a game, even if it's worked, because Kellen Moore is so worried about calling something that's going to get stopped. But at the same time, if you know you've got them, hit them, man. And there are going to be opportunities here this week against the 49ers. So, first of all, I know I just spent a lot of time talking about the Washington football team in a game that involves the Dallas Cowboys and the 49ers. But hear me out. This game is a football nerd's dream because we have one of our own on the 49ers sideline in Kyle Shanahan. We've found somebody who understands... who understands the most efficient way to coach. And I don't want to hear, okay? There are a lot of idiots on in the sports media, take complex, I'll call it, who spent the first half of the season making fun of the 49ers. Bill Simmons spent a lot of the first half comparing Kyle Shanahan's win percentage to Mike Singletary and to other bad coaches. I... And then having the balls to talk about how, yeah, they're a Super Bowl favorite. I don't, I don't know what. You're full of shit. You don't watch the games as intently as the rest of us. You don't know what you're talking about. It's tiring. 49ers are an offense first team, which sounds weird to say because when they went to the Super Bowl four years ago, three years ago, excuse me, when they lost to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they were a defense first team. When they had Solomon Thomas and Buckner and Joey and Joey Nick Bosa and rookie Fred Warner. They had the good secondary with Sherman. They had um, Witherspoon. They had a couple other defensive backs. Rashad Breland was back there. They had some decent guys in that secondary who I was really intrigued to see how the 49ers would adapt as they lost guys from that front seven. Of course, they traded DeForest Buckner traded uh, DeForest Buckner to the Colts, used that draft pick to get Javon Kinlaw, who's been out most of this season, the South Carolina defensive tackle. And San Francisco has at times gotten a little bit too cute with some of their draft selections. They've taken a lot of receivers in particular who have never really panned out there because Kyle Shanahan's fallen in love with them. And he's the one who's got the say end all on personnel, Not, not John Lynch. John Lynch's title might be general manager, but Kyle has roster control. John Lynch is there as a sounding board and as somebody to do the general manager availability, which is different. I want to see what San Francisco does to mitigate Dallas's defense. So number one, Dallas' defense is feast or famine, boom or bust, whatever cliche you want to use to describe it. They are extremely turnover dependent, and that's worked for them this year because they have Three game-breaking players on their defense. Micah Parsons, who doesn't really have a position right now, which is why he's so interesting. Tavon Diggs, uh, 
yeah, Trayvon. Yeah, Trayvon Diggs. I, I don't know why I'm guessing myself because I keep I always mix up him up with Quandre Diggs and Trayvon Diggs on the Cowboys, the rookie. A lot of interceptions, ten or no eleven. He's also given up over a thousand yards in coverage this year. So very much a boomer bust guy who's going to gamble for the pick pick in the same way that Marcus Peters would when he was on the Chiefs or was on the Rams. He didn't get to do it on the Ravens this year because he got hurt in training camp. But you got that. And then you've got Demarcus Lawrence in that front seven, who's still a pretty damn good pass rusher at the end of the day. You've got those three game-breaking players on the field for Dallas's defense. And that's going to go toe-to-toe with what San Francisco wants to do. And why I'm curious to see what San Francisco's game plan on offense is. If they can do what they like to do, keep Jimmy in easy situations, really dictate the flow and tone of the game through the running game, have Debo Samuel doing all kinds of crazy shit because that's one of the 10 best football players in the entire league, regardless of position. That's how good Debo Samuel has been this year as both a running back and a wide receiver. He's so clearly found his niche where he's able to use his physicality as a runner. So getting the ball in the hands of your playmakers is the key here. And Kyle Shanahan said, okay, if Jimmy can't get him the ball in space on the side on RPOs and in the flat on wide receiver screens, I'm just going to have him hand the ball off and let him run over people on the second level of the defense. That is something I'm very excited to see. Then you've got the added intrigue of Trent Williams and George Kittle trying to block Minka Parsons. That is going to be very, very fun television for nerds like me who enjoy watching the trenches because that's what San Francisco has tried to do with Kyle Shanahan as the head coach. They're trying to win the war in the trenches. So the words of the great John Rivers on Twitter, trenches matter. Trenches always have mattered, always will matter. I think both of these teams are pretty well built in the trenches. I just lean San Francisco because they have more high-end players in that space. Trent Williams, Nick Bosa, just game-wrecking forces on offense and defense in those trenches. DeMarcus Lawrence is very good. Tyron Smith is still very good. Zach Martin, probably the best right guard in football. I lean San Francisco in the trenches. And then we get into the intrigue where San Francisco is going to have to rush the passer if they're going to want to make plays on defense because that back end is not good enough to play coverage against Dallas's weapons. Granted, Amari Cooper hasn't played great in the second half of the season, hasn't gotten a ton of targets. CeeDee Lamb is a game-wrecking force. you still got Cedric Wilson out there who can make some plays. You've got Schultz out there. They'll break out Zeke and Pollard interchangeably in different situations. This is going to be a very fun game. This, I think, is going to be the best game of the weekend. This has the recipe for disaster for one of these two teams. Let's start with the obvious here. Mike McCarthy and Kyle Shanahan have decorated game management blunders to their resumes. Kyle has lost... Two Super Bowls with fourth quarter leads because of how he's called offense. And Mike McCarthy is liable to forget how timeouts and the clock works at any given moment in any given game. Mike McCarthy will get the ball back with a minute 35 and three timeouts and kneel out the clock because he doesn't want to risk risk turning the ball over or giving the other team a chance. As opposed to letting Dak Prescott, one of like the seven or eight best quarterbacks in the entire league, try and get three points and use timeouts in his three... Well, I was going to say three, but Michael Gallup's injured. But two-plus thousand-yard receivers, thousand-yard targets, we'll say. That way, running backs, too. But this game is why people like me 
It's why we crunch the tape. These are two teams that are trying to be on the cutting edge of offensive game planning and play calling, really trying to find a way to take advantage of things. San Francisco, they're going to use a lot of two-back and two-tight-end formations because that's a tendency breaker. That's uncomfortable. That's not a lot of teams still do. I've read something today in The Ringer. Yeah, The Ringer, about the different types of offenses that exist in today's league. San Francisco uses two backs more than any team in the entire league, and it's because they have Kyle Juszczyk, who is one of the best fullbacks in the entire league, if not the best. He probably is the best because Patrick Ricard's a little bit slower and a little bit older now, but Juszczyk almost won Super Bowl MVP when the 49ers were in the Super Bowl a couple years ago against Kansas City. They are going to try and make Jimmy G's life as easy as possible. Get the ball to Kittle, get the ball to Debo, get it to Ayuk, hand the ball off, get Elijah Mitchell going. You have guys in that backfield who are going to be able to make some plays. I'm very excited to see how the dynamic players on this field match up with each other. We will see Nick Bosa against Tyron Smith at some point. I am very excited to see those boys fight it out in the trenches. Shit like that is why we watch football. And then on the other side, you got Micah Parsons going against Kittle or Tyrants or um Trent Williams. That's awesome. That is football porn. You get to watch two of the best at their position duel it out for quarters at a time. I can't wait. Yeah, Jimmy G is on one of these teams, and Jimmy G is liable for the total brain fart moments where he does the thing that Baker does where he's like, I'm a quarterback in the NFL. That guy's open. I got this. And he throws to a wide receiver who's standing still. The defensive player gets to break on the ball with a running start and pouses it going the other way because Jimmy G waited way too long to throw. Jimmy's liable for one of those a game. Hell, in their comeback win against the Rams this past week, I was expecting that interception on that drive before overtime. I was expecting them to get down to the red zone and him to throw a pick to Jalen Ramsey because he was trying to force a ball into double coverage because on occasion he puts a little bit too much dip on his chip. When the 49ers have made successful playoff appearances, granted they have won under Kyle Shanahan, they made Jimmy G's life easy as possible. Everybody remembers the game against the Vikings where he only threw the ball six times. They remember the NFC title game where they just bullied the Packers in the trenches, won that NFC title game easy, easily, and dominated the line of scrimmage, especially defensively, where they had Nick Bosa and uh, DeForest Buckner just going absolutely in on that Packer O-line. Not as good of a defense now as it was then. No Buckner hurts. Buckner is one of the best interior defenders in the entire sport. I'm very excited for this fucking game. I know I've said that like four times, but these are two of my favorite teams in the entire league to watch. San Francisco might be my single favorite just because of all the weird shit they do. Kyle will break something weird out in this game. There will be another Debo Samuel pass attempt. There will be a Brandon Ayuk pass attempt, something. There will be some weird shit in this game. I want to see George Kittle go off. I want to see Micah Parsons covering Kittle. I want to see I want to see the chess match. And this is the game of the week in terms of chess pieces because both of these teams are uniquely equipped for the playoffs. Dallas wants to be a run-first team, even though they are a spread offense, which stubbornness and Zeke... Zeke still turns it up every now and then in a way that can be problematic for the defense. I want to see... I want to see what the Cowboys do 
if they can't get into a rhythm on offense. I want to see how they try and break out of that slump. If they go 3-0 two times in a row and it's 10-3 to after two quarters at the half, what does Dallas do to get back into a rhythm on offense? What do they do? That is what makes the playoffs so fun. Trying to find those adjustments, those little wrinkles, the things that the casual person is not thinking about, but because I am neurotic and I am taking notes during these games, the things I notice in terms of personnel groupings. So Dallas is going to live in 11 in this game. There's going to be one back, one tight end on the field a lot of the time. Maybe two tight ends if you can help it. You get the second guy out there, whether it be Freddie Swain or someone else. And then San Francisco, a lot of 12, a lot of 22, a lot of bodies. San Francisco is one of the most, if not the most, physical teams in the entire playoffs. That will work to their advantage in a game like this against a Dallas defense that, if you can get it on the ropes, is vulnerable. Dallas looks for the big play on defense because they know they can't cover and they can't rush the passer as well as some of the other teams. Granted, they have Mika Parsons, they have Demarcus Lawrence. Those are two very good edge rushers. Playing coverage against San Francisco has its limitations. It's going to be a war in those trenches. Game pick. I got to take Kyle, man. You've been listening to me? San Francisco plus three. Come on, man. San Francisco plus three. I don't like taking... I don't like taking this many underdogs. I'm already at four out of the six, and I still have one more game to pick in which I'm going to probably take the favorite, so it'll be a little bit more balanced. But, man, I... I trust Kyle more than I trust McCarthy. And yes, I am a Kyle fanboy, so you should take my opinion on that with a grain of salt. But Mike McCarthy just makes some horrendous game management decisions sometimes, man. And like I've said, Kellamora can get a little bit too cute with it. They can go into some dry spells on offense, have a bit of a hard time moving the ball. I I trust the guys on San Francisco more, man. Those guys have been to the playoff. The guys from the Super Bowl team... They know what it takes to win this time of year. This Dallas team doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. They've gone a couple times. They've lost in the first round multiple times in the last few years. The last time they made it, I believe, when it was under Jason Garrett, they lost to the Rams in the first round. That was the year the Rams went to the Super Bowl. Todd Gurley was cutting them up back before Todd Gurley had arthritis in his knees and couldn't run the ball anymore. Give me San Francisco. And the points. Last one. Monday night. First time ever. Playoff game on a Monday night. ESPN wanted this. Instead of having three and three. Gonna do two, two, and one. It's fine. I'm excited to watch this game. Arizona, Los Angeles. A lot of a lot of the things I said about the Bills and Patriots playing a third time will ring true here as well. It's so difficult playing the same team three times in a single season because you just don't have that many game plans. And once you've put something on tape against a team you have to play again, that team is going to cram through what you did the first time you played to the second time you played, trying to constantly tinker so that you can see any tendencies in what they've done. These two teams, they split the regular season series. When they the first time they met, Arizona won 37-20. Second time they met, the Rams won 30-23. So let's start with the obvious. The Rams are a Super Bowl or bust team. They expect to be a team that can win the Super Bowl. They have had 
serious offensive efficiency issues. Stafford has made some mind-numbingly stupid decisions at times, especially down the stretch here in the second half where even though they've been winning games, the two and three interception games, they got to stop, man. Because this time of year, you give the other team extra possessions, it is going to fucking kill you. And the Rams, number one, their inefficiency running the ball is a problem. You have to be able to run the ball a little bit. I'm not saying you have to be the Cowboys of the 90s with Emmitt Smith and Daryl Johnston, but you got to have the threat of running the ball, at least so when you're in the red zone, the other team has to respect the possibility of you running. And that kind of stuff, it sounds stupid and simple, but you think about some of the teams we've seen and their inefficiencies. The Chargers had a hard time in the red zone because they couldn't run the ball. You think about the Giants' inability to run the ball in the regular season in the red zone. When you are in a compressed space, it is a lot harder to throw. And Sony Michelle, the Georgia Sony Michelle is long gone. The rookie Sony Michelle from New England is long gone. He's not very explosive. He's not very dynamic. If you give him a gap, he can hit the gap. He'll fall forward on top of the guy trying to tackle him. But he's not really going to make a lot of big plays in the running game. I don't know how realistic it is to expect anything out of Cam Akers, who's coming off of an Achilles. And so he got some snaps last week in their game against San Francisco, but I don't know how realistic that is to expect a whole lot out of him. It's going to be on Stafford's shoulders for the Rams to win this game. I don't think Arizona is particularly good. I don't think it will take the Rams A-plus effort to win this game, but the, the Rams are going to have to play at least a B to win this game. You're going to have to get Cup going. You're going to have to get OBJ going. The rumors of Odell Beckham's demise were greatly exaggerated. That man has more touchdowns since he got to the Rams than the Giants did in the time since he got to the Rams. Okay? You got those dynamic weapons out there. Tutu Atwell's lurking in the shadows. You've got guys. Tyler Higby's there at tight end for the Rams. You've got the oldest left tackle in football, Andre Whitworth. I want to see the Rams make a run because it would annoy a lot of people if the Rams made a run playing as stupidly as they have with the direction of their franchise, just constantly trading for older, expensive veterans at the cost of any real organizational depth. The Rams' salary cap is like seven guys and then 46 guys filling out the rest of that cap space. They have seven guys taking up like more than half of their cap between Aaron Donald, Ramsey, Stafford, Cupsoon, and Whitworth. I... Really like the team that the Rams have assembled. Like, if there's a reason the Rams are very fun to play with in Madden, they're a Madden assembled team. You can run the ball in Madden if your running back isn't good. That doesn't work in real life, unfortunately. You have to be able to make a little bit of a play in the running game. You need the three. I'm not saying you need 30 rushing attempts or 25 or even 20. You need 15 solid rush attempts to have even a threat of running the ball so the other team has to be honest. Number two, talking about the Rams. You want to see Stafford play action RPOs. Don't make him just straight drop back. When you make Stafford just straight drop back, he thinks he's Brett Favre and he just starts slinging it all over the place. And that's where he gets into trouble. Use your toolbox, Sean. I know the running joke on football Twitter is that the Rams only have 20 plays and just the only difference in them is the pre-snap motion and the alignment of the formation, that's really it. Because that is true to a large extent. Most of the Rams' plays are pretty much the same thing with just different dressing out on the pre-snap of it. 
so the defense can't know what's coming. That's where the Rams can get into some trouble. You're playing a team a third time. You don't have as many tools in the toolbox. You have some limitations schematically. All of that said, I do not trust the Cardinals. I have long been skeptical of the Cardinals. Even when the Cardinals were sitting at 9-1, and one, I didn't think they were the best team in the NFC, or the league, let alone the NFC, like some people out there in football media were talking about. I mean, let's be honest here. I, I, I think he's probably a college coach, not an NFL coach. He'll probably get extended in Arizona. Their offense has way too many limitations. A lot of their offense is expecting Kyler Murray to make plays outside of structure. There is no DeAndre Hopkins. Rondale Moore and Christian Kirk are going to have to make some plays. James Conner is going to have to make some plays. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying they are going to ask a lot of Kyler Murray in this game because that's what the Cardinals have done since Cliff Kingsbury's gotten there. All of the things in that offense are contingent upon Kyler Murray extending plays because they don't really pass protect particularly well. And then the occasional gimmicky underneath play that gets broken for a big play. James Conner has been a pleasant surprise for them. I did not expect James Conner to have a career renaissance out there in the desert. I think he had 16 touchdowns on the year, which is a lot for any player, let alone somebody who looked pretty done towards the end of his time at the Steelers. But I digress. I will say, this game will be silly. Monday night game always lends a little bit of extra silliness. You'll have Steve Levy, you'll have Louis Louis Riddick talking about the National Football League, and you'll have Greasy there just kind of talking, taking up airtime because they have airtime to kill. I don't really see a world in which the Cardinals win this game. I know their defense is slowly but surely getting better over time. J.J. Watt is supposed to play, which is insane considering he tore his pack off of the bone, like, which is crazy considering he tore his pack off the bone like three or four months ago. I don't imagine he will have much of an impact in this game. If Arizona is going to win this game, it's going to be because they turn Stafford over a handful of times, whether that's Lewis Murphy Jr. or Buda Baker or Isaiah Simmons. Whoever's in that secondary is going to have to make some plays because the Rams are going to sling it around and there's going to be in, there are going to be turnover-worthy plays there. The Rams' offense hasn't been too efficient in terms of just EPA per play, expected points added per play. I A lot of it comes down to just better decision-making, which Stafford is more than capable of. It's just accepting that you can't make every single throw, which some quarterbacks never really learn. But this game just doesn't really, ha- doesn't really have the juice for me, is the way I'll describe it. Uh, give me the Rams minus four. I trust Sean McVay a lot more than I trust Cl- trust Cliff Kingsbury. I don't trust Kyler Murray really like at all in this kind of game just because he's going to be dancing around trying to make plays happen, and I really don't know what to expect. Stafford I don't really trust either because he's played like shit for a lot of this season. Yeah, fuck it. Give me the Rams minus four. Okay, so quick recap. We've got Tampa Bay minus eight and a half. San Francisco plus three. The Rams, minus four. And then from yesterday, we've got Vegas, plus five and a half. The Patriots, plus four. And Pittsburgh, plus 12 and a half. Okay. 
those are our playoff picks for this weekend. I hope everybody enjoys Super Wild Card Weekend. We will be back on Monday to recap all of it. I'll see you guys then. Enjoy the football.